This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, Georgie, check for Dadsy. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <whistles> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms supply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. From which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However... When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. No, no, I've not been back to Luton since long. Oh, oh, I've never okay. played because they obviously got, they got relegated, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Unlucky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, got, they got relegated and I kept getting promoted. Leicester City have a penalty kick in the six minutes of injury time. Injury time. Injury time. Look out, takes. Almunia saves. Look out, follows in. Almunia saves again. And now Wapner on the counter attack. Boris Diary. Oh, I don't believe this. You're listening to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. Joining us today, Paul Robinson. Good evening, Paul. How are you? Good evening. I'm well, fellas. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, Robbo, absolutely tremendous to have you on, mate. Um, over the moon. One of my, and I, I don't, Justin will back me up, I don't say this all the time, one of my all-time favourite players in a, in a Watford shirt. You were, you were for me, the um, the play, you know, when you, you talk about players getting stuck in and, and having a go no matter what, you were you were the pinnacle of that and absolute honour to speak to you. And and listen, what a career you've had, you know, playing and, and what you're up to now as well. So, um, yeah. you know, lots lots and lots to talk about. But uh, Watford born and bred, uh, born in Watford, General. That's it's in it. your blood. That just is. tell us, just tell us how how you really became uh, Paul Robinson, the footballer. You know where it all where it all started. I think it all started like um, as kids, as all dreams do, is that you see the football on the TV about four or five. Obviously, my dad was a, my dad was a semi professional player for um, Darlington. My brother as well played football, and yeah, we obviously we just used to have a kick around in the garden, and and things then obviously move on. When when you get into it more, you start to love doing it, and then. Um, I first got spotted for Watford was uh, Dennis Gibbs. So Nigel Gibbs's dad was my was my first coach at the age of nine. Um, used to go up the YMCA in uh, Watford Town Centre. So we used to go up there every Friday night to start with. It was just in the gym, little five side tournaments, little bit of fun, and then progression went on from there really. And nothing was it wasn't too serious then, which I like because now when you talk and obviously I've been I've worked in the academy as well at Birmingham, it's 
it's now it's too serious. There's too much pressure. But back then there was no pressure. It mm. was once a week to then twice a week to still playing with your mates, grassroots football, still playing with your Sunday league teams as well. So you were getting the best of both worlds. So it was it was a great upbringing for me. And and yeah, it's uh, sort of that platform then from Watford then going into the scholarship was was fantastic for me. And, and uh, yeah, an unbelievable pathway for me to go and play for my hometown club. Just talking about that ninety six, I think you you came through. You you, you broke through at Watford. Yeah. 90- what, what was what was that like? How did you know? How to take us back there? What was going through your mind and stuff? Hometown, a little bit of pressure, I guess, because of knowing people around the town and and, and so forth as well. Yeah, but again, I, I never really felt pressure at that age. As a young kid, I I, I sort of took everything with a pinch of salt. Um, I I went one hundred percent full in of, <laughs> of what I needed to do. Not not just tackling; that was everything. But Graham Taylor was a, he was a he was a fantastic mentor for me. I had people like Luther Blissett around me, Tom Wally, Kenny Jackett was my academy manager, Jimmy Gilligan, who's now back at Watford, John McDermott. Who's now working with England? So I, I, around me, not, obviously you got Nigel Gibbs, the senior professional there as well, and obviously Dennis at the time who I, who I grew up with as a young kid coming through the academy as well. It was for me, it was a perfect upbringing. It was that that instilling what what my home club was all about, that dream to, to one day wear the shirt if it was possible. But also, you, you never guaranteed the right pathway. And Grant Taylor believed in us young lads when, when we were growing up. His first thought was, I want to get the youth through. That was his. No matter what players he had, senior pro. Or, or players that he brought in, he knew that he wanted to he wanted to combine that. So the youth coming through was was very important to him. He wanted to see the kids develop. He wanted to see him prove a point in the first team environment. Um, he also was sensible with money. He also wanted to bring players in who uh, they wanted to play for Watford Football Club. They didn't want to come for the money. They didn't want to come just because it was their end of their careers or they had nothing else to prove. Graham was always diligent in in the players that he recruited, and that was they were fully committed to Watford Football Club. And that wasn't just on the pitch. That was off it as well and that was in the community meeting the fans doing doing club functions and things like that so so yeah everything for me growing up was just put me on that on that pathway of this is how I wanted to be and this is how grounded I wanted to stay throughout my life and your your first uh, team debut was against a, a team that we don't mention scum yeah scum <laughs> there you it. go there you go let's describe them that way you're quite right and you were a second minute substitute what what happened there I was yeah again it's obviously you're sitting on the bench I was like I'm 17 I was at the time Dominic Ludden was was the left back games going on obviously you know, surprised to be on the bench and that's what Graham was all about Graham was all about testing your character putting surprises onto you as players and involve you in like a first team environment and get you on the bench and yeah obviously the game started and you don't think nothing of it you're still sit, you're sitting there because you've literally you've just finished your warm up so you're warm I've just seen Dom go down and, and in my head I thought nothing of it I just thought oh, he's going to be fine he's just taking a whack early doors and, and then obviously Graham's turned around the gaffer and he's gone well, I warm up and I'm like really and he's gone yeah warm up go on hurry up get moving like this you have no real time to think you don't think about it's your local rivals you're going on against you, it's going to be your league debut you're 17 when you first start you you don't think of all them things it's just you literally your head's right I need, when I go on that pitch I just need to do everything that I've been taught and make sure I do it right and don't make mistakes but you're obviously going to make mistakes because you're a young kid and you and you and it's and it's a totally different style of, of, of what you've been used to in the academy football to now be in a first team environment with fans cheering you on and 
yeah, well, I mean, when Dom went down, for me, it was just about getting on that pitch, showing the fans what I was all about. Again, a product that had come through the Youth Academy. You want the fans to see them players coming through and, and they get that little bit of excitement in what the future holds when they see these players step on the football pitch. So, mm. yeah, it was a, for me, it was just about going out there and, and, and being me as a player and, and doing the and doing the best that I could do with my ability. And although we're skipping around in the timeline a bit, you did actually play that, uh, well, let's, let's call them Luton Town. You actually played against them several times. I remember yeah. you popping up and getting one, don't I, once? Uh, I was it on yeah. a Valentine's Day? I seem to remember. It was. A little Valentine's flick-on from, and a perfect loving from Jason Lee with a flick-on. I just gambled. <laughs> so yeah, I, I moved, I was playing left, I was playing left wing that day, actually. Graham moved me up one position, which was great, because again, it's that trust that he puts in you as players. Right. To go and play in, in the different positions, especially on the left-hand side for me, because I played pretty much all of that side. <laughs> when you when you think about it, left back, left wing, left yeah, wing yeah, back, yeah. Left, yeah. left side and centre half of the three. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I just I just gambled on a flick on. Like I think Jason chested it through a, a, the group of the defenders. Instinct for me was just in my head was just hit the target, just hit the target, and luckily for me it went under the goalie. But the funny thing about it was is I, I forgot Harry the Ornit had come on to celebrate, and we totally we totally custard pied each other, and I I sort of gave him a late sort of cuddle but missed him at the same time. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Harry the Hornet's got involved as well. Yeah, he's got into trouble over the last few years getting involved with that. Imagine that lot. Yeah, God, yeah. Well, more play than like loot and stuff. Anyway, you just mentioned Graham Taylor there a few times. Is, is there? Have you got a story um, that's kind of close to your heart, uh, or, or anything that you can really remember? A, you know, a specific moment where you know people listening to this might might not know about you know something that's happened between you two, or, or, or something that you witnessed. Just with, with with Graham towards me as a, as a person, he was fantastic. I mean. Kenny Jacket the same I've got a lot of respect for, for for both men for the way that they give me my chance in football and you don't you don't get that nowadays you don't get that opportunity as a young lad to go and express yourselves and for me at the time was I had the, I had that support I had that, that that commitment from them was I had the guidance I had the learning I had everything that you could possibly want to be a professional football player and it just set me up lovely I mean Graham was he was so good in the senses that he would take you away from the cameras because you were a young lad and for me he knew my style of football the way I like to go into tackles he knew that I'd get myself in trouble sometimes or I didn't mean to get myself in trouble but he was that protective person that would always go Robbo look we need to sit down and have a chat and that's what was so good about him is that he would always have time to talk to you and give you the right information and he always said to me and I always like he just said to me he said you're like you're one special person you will always go on and have a special career just because of the dedication and commitment that you have in the game so when you hear them words from such a man you never really believe them until you look back on your career and then you go wow yeah and mm. you go back to it and you're like wow if, if he hadn't said that to me then I, I I might have gone on a different rail or I might have gone on a different pathway that wouldn't have led me to where I've got to well one thing that always comes to mind when I think you uh, Robbo is commitment we knew that when you were going in for a tackle you were in it to, 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 to win the tackle I just you're one of those players that just always looked as if you were given 100% and and I mean certainly in the team at the moment that's quite a, a rare quality there's not very many players at the moment I think oh yeah they're really in it for the for the win so yeah. commitment is certainly one word that I would always attribute to yourself 
No, definitely. Yeah. And I, again, it's again, it's like the footballers that we look at now. We're, we're all different. Not, they're not going to be like me. All footballers, they all have their different way of expressing themselves. And I had my way. That was me. That was my genuine. That was my genuine self. No one would ever replicate that. My, my boys won't even replicate that because they're all individual characters, and they need to grow in in whatever they do in life, whether it being with sport or whether it being in businesses or yeah. whatever they do, whatever they decide to do. I will never put pressure on them because it's got to be from them. They've got to decide what they want to do. And I'll, I will always give them guidance. As parents, that's all we can do is give our kids the guidance to do the right things and have that respect. Yeah. Mm. So it was like for me when Graham and Kenny were giving me that advice. Yes, my commitment took me over the edge sometimes, but but that was that was me. I had to learn the hard way from dealing with that. And but I wasn't going to change because I was always going to go into a tackle thinking I was going to win it. And sometimes I, I wasn't going to win it. Yeah. And that's what I I had to accept. There was never any like obviously I, I've always been caught up in a few incidents of players getting hurt but there was never any intention of that on my mind it was it was just my commitment to win the ball which you can't physically you can't do that throughout 90 minutes you mm. can never win the ball 100% times but I was always prepared to to get hurt to if I was going to win the ball I was always prepared to get hurt for my team to make sure that I was doing the right things and I was putting my body on the line for my teammates yeah which unfortunately there isn't enough of that about nowadays and, and I'm just going to sort of touch on it you, you know for you know for your role that you're doing now and, and I think football's changed so much since you came through the ranks in the sense of tackling and the physicality, you know, that 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 side of it. A good tackle or, you know, sticking somebody in row Z is as good as a goal. It does, you, you have lost something in the game now and it, it's, it's a shame really. Yeah, it is. And we, we've got, obviously the referees now have got a certain way they need to referee. We've got VAR where they look at every angle, every tackle that goes in, every decision's changed from a TV point of view. And it's it, it's taken, it's taken the, the professional side of the game away, I feel, because... The officials now they're not making the fight they're, they're not really making a decision that they feels right or feel was right or was or was wrong it's now all over tv evidence which it's taken that sort of getting to know the referee as a person as well understanding them as players that they you have that because i used to have great relationships with referees like mark Orsi was was a prime example he used to come in and train with us graham used to let him come in and train with us but when he refereed it, he had no biasness but you always were you were on the pitch he was constantly talking to you the next time you make a tap like that on booking just so you know right so it, you had you had that communication whereas now it looks like there is none and as coaches as when you're coaching now you have to coach differently you have to you have to try and try and give them give them like individual qualities of what you know that you can work on with them but also get them to understand understand the game's changed and how it's moved on technology wise and, and quality of players that you're playing against I think we're all evolving as, as like I say as fans as well we're always understanding what the games what the rules are as coaches we're always trying to understand the different characters that we work with and how we get them to train how we get them to play in games and it and it, it is it's everything's revolving into this into the technology side of things what do you yeah. think of VAR do you, are you a fan of VAR I wasn't but then when obviously the Euros I, I was really impressed with it but it's finding that right balance I think it can work if there's a balance if we're making quick decisions and not like what we were seeing where players were standing around for five minutes before we could even we're at home going it's not a penalty yeah. he's going to give it a not penalty yeah. and then you go to a screen or the big screen comes up no penalty you're like well I told you that I told you that yeah yeah you hear me through the TV so it's little it's little things like that we're we're, we're playing a professional sport so it's speed it's you can't let the game stop fans fans like sitting on the edge of their seats they like that that tempo they like watching it they like being on the edge of the seats or something's going to happen in a minute but when but when you're like as a fan sitting there for five minutes waiting for this decision you're like oh for god's sake yeah can you get access to referees after the games as in you can yeah yeah, yeah, so the manager 
the manager can ask after you come that the manager can ask 30 minutes after the game to, to go and have a chat with the referee and just understand why you made them decisions if they were if they were like bad decisions throughout then you can you can have that 30 minute block after the game to just go and sit down and talk to them but some referees are they're too arrogant they don't want to talk to you it's like move on I make the decision deal with it but there are some referees out there that do that and it is yeah. frustrating because you just want to have a conversation about it to understand to understand why yeah. you what your thought process yeah, was yeah. yeah so you as a, as a manager or a coach you know then why he made that decision so you're like okay fair enough that's fine I think there are some referees that also like to make a name for themselves I mean Kevin Friend when we played Arsenal recently I thought was absolutely appalling I know his name because I didn't think he was a very good referee thinking back to when you were playing for Watford there was referees like Uriah Rennie we knew his name a lot of referees are anonymous but they're always ones that sort of seem a bit sort of celebrity-ish and you know like being referees I think and I think that should preclude you from being a referee to be honest someone that wants to be one shouldn't be one in my opinion I'm waiting for for ITV to bring out, you know, cancel the only way is Essex and bring out, the, you know, a referee program where they're all, <laughs> all rolling around with their girlfriends and nice cars and stuff. Just you see a different That's side it. of them? So, Robert, getting back to the um, to the football and, and, and Watford, let's take you back to well that shirt for the guys that can't see this because it's obviously a podcast. But Robbo is sitting in front of the 1999 playoff final shirt. And I just want to take you back to that season. We're on the back of a promotion from the league below. Coming into that season, just take us inside the inside the camp, if you can, just about you know how it was. Because I thought what Graham Taylor did at the time, the season before, was to add some real, real quality. You know, in, especially in the final. You know, I think of Ronnie Rosenthal, Jason Lee, players like that. Yeah. Um, and they were bargains, as, as far as I remember, you know, for what they actually gave us. But just sort of take uh, what I'm trying to go to is going from two promotions right into the Premier League, and you know what the mood in, inside the camp was like. The mood was amazing. I mean, and, and that, that again was down to Graham and he, all of his staff was keeping that momentum going from the season before. As I, as I mentioned before, Graham never he never wanted to go out and buy a player who he who he felt was not going to fit the Watford mould. So when you're attracting players like Ronnie Rosenthal, you're thinking to yourself. I mean, wow, what a signing. But is he going to be one of those players who keeps himself to himself or is he going to be a player that gets involved in all the team spirit he does what, what Graham wants him to do and he was and every player that walked through the door knew what their what their responsibilities were to play for Watford Football Club um, so we had a we had a great team spirit and it showed yes obviously we were never going to be the favourites with the teams that were in the division so we knew that it was going to be um, a, a push for us but to, to be promoted from League 1 at the time which is now well, the championship so it's League 2 mm. in, in League 1 um, now obviously to get get up to the championship for us it was that next step as a group of players it was how far can Graham now take this group of players that he's kept all together but added how can we keep that momentum going throughout the season yes there's going to be losses yes we're going to win games how are we going to deal with it um, how are we going to deal with some of the like the, the issues that might occur with new players coming in and and I felt it was it, it, it was a it was a fantastic environment to be in and, and for a young kid as well still 19 uh, 18 19 was when you when you when you're playing along players like Ronnie Rosenthal you know you're only going to improve as a player with what not just playing with him but speaking to him learning off him and getting that guidance of, of what I need to do better as a player as well on the pitch for service into him how does he like the crosses coming in like how does he like the balls played into his feet little things like that you're always talking to other players to get to understand what their game's all about so so yeah it was it for me it was the perfect mix and it and I think it showed that we grew we grew stronger as the season went on obviously the two games against Birmingham were, were twitchy obviously I picked up a second 
yellow card, which was annoying and disappointing because, again, my commitment there comes at, at the worst times comes out of me, and and unfortunately, I I let let the team down, and obviously, I'm I'm now suspended for the second leg. But to go into the crowd and watch it at St Andrews, the the atmosphere, the the, the intimidation of of what the noise was all about. But the lads were brilliant. I mean, and Gibbo, he was exceptional throughout throughout that second leg, and to go to penalties, you, you only think of it's going to go either way here and I'm hoping it's not in Birmingham's favour because they had some quality players on, on their day they were a real good team and they was expected to go up promoted and to, and to win on penalties was just it was just a dream come true and then obviously the playoff final was, was even more special but we, we talk about it now when we had our 20 year reunion about it we knew we'd beat Bolton in a tunnel we, we knew we knew that when we got there next to them we'd beaten them twice throughout the season so we had no fear of them we knew what we knew what the way they were going to play because they, they didn't change it and all we had to do was win our individual battles all over the pitch they wouldn't be able to cope with our intensity and our pressure and it, on the day like you said when we stood in the tunnel we just stared at them we literally didn't say nothing we just stared at most of their players and they refused to look at us I was going to say it's quite interesting because we've actually spoken or we've been lucky enough to speak to several players that were involved in that match we've spoken to yeah. Peter Kennedy we spoke to Nick Wright, Alan Smart, Richard Johnson. So we've spoken to quite a lot of players that played in that match at Wembley. They've all said the same thing that you've just said, that you knew when you were in a tunnel that you'd, you'd won that game. Yeah. And funny enough, we spoke to Neil Cox, who was obviously playing for Bolton that day. Yeah, Cox, he, for Bolton, yeah. he reckoned that the uh, the Nick Wright goal unsettled them completely because it was like a, a piece of magic that sort of came out of nowhere. He said, you know, when we saw that, we thought it just unsettled them, which is, I'd never even considered that something like that would happen to a, to an opposition, uh, you know, a brilliant goal would unsettled him but one thing that Nick Wright did say <laughs> was that when he wheeled away from the goal you rugby tackled him and nearly yes. ended his career <laughs> I don't think it was that right I think it was your over a kick <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah he could be right there hashing yeah. checks his body couldn't yeah exactly yeah. No, one, no one's even seen right he attempt that in training so doing it on the biggest stage in the world and then score a fantastic goal and then him for him for him to say I oh, rugby tackled him has ruined his career he's well, he said it nearly ruined his career he said, Robbo uh, rugby tackle me in the halfway line and nearly ruined my career, is what he said. <laughs> and and this brings us back to what I was saying before we started recording, which is uh, Richard Short said, Paul Robinson is an absolute madman. He used to grab me between the legs while I was trying to read out the teams. That was his... <laughs> That was his. <laughs> that was his memory. <laughs> and, and Coxie said when we spoke to him, you know, Robbo's just a madman, and he was always fun in the dressing room and stuff. So, are you happy to accept the the, the madman mantle? I'll, I'll accept the madman mantle. You like that? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I'll, I'll accept it because it was a nice, it was a nice way of earning it. Yeah, jo- uh, Jono's. Um, yeah, he's got a few good memories of, of you as well. We we spoke to Jono, and we'll get on to that in a bit because I think there's a few mm. stories in there. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> but just just literally touching back on that Coxie did say uh, and you were talking about the tunnel they noticed all of you lot turn up in suits looking like you meant business they turn up in track suits and it, it, I think it kind of gave the you know the opinion that they're turning up to win Graham was key to that at the time and, 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 and all you boys you know for buying into that that's gone now you know and, I, and I've said it before to players that you know we spoke to, to modernish players that have played Alman Abdi for instance and they've just not got the understanding of what it's like you know to play against Luton and what that means to the town and stuff like that and it, it's a shame really and it's I don't want it to be a negative the, the fact that we, we got we got promoted but it's just I'm just surmising that it's just such a shame that we haven't got that connection anymore and it you know for me it, it's it's a real 
Yeah, yeah, but that also comes from the managers that the, the, the clubs they're they're hiring. They're hiring managers that know nothing about the team or the history mm. of the football club. And mm. it's hard because yeah. how do you educate the managers that are coming in? Because at the moment we're just seeing them coming and going all the time and with Graham, Graham had stability. Mm. He, he he had he had a love for the the town, he had a love for what for football club and he showed that and he went and met he went and met fans out of his own time. He made the players do exactly the same thing. We we did what Graham wanted us to do, and that was be connected as one. And 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 unfortunately, that's football now. Football's changing. It's players when they sign for football clubs, they don't understand the club history. All they're worried about is, and it, and it's true. All they're worried about is what am I going to get on a weekly basis going into my bank account? What car am I going to drive? Yes, I'll sign it through autographs, but I'm not going to talk to you. And that's the way football's becoming now. It's becoming of you can't talk to us because we're this hierarchy it's like even with social media stuff it's it's becoming ridiculous meet the fans that's what football's all about is that connection and we had that no one will ever take that away from us because for you as fans yourself throughout that that era it's probably your best time as a fan knowing that without doubt you had that connection with the club felt the club felt whole yeah. not just in pieces I used to take time to sort of write letters to Graham Taylor put them in envelopes and send them off I always got a reply and it was always you know it wasn't just thanks for writing to me he always addressed the points I put in the letter and things like that I can't really imagine anything like that really happening now to be honest it was you know it was a special time really to be doing that in the Premier League as well to take us from the old Division 2 to the Premier League was such a feat yeah. in two seasons yeah, absolutely exactly. fantastic where do you think it went wrong in the Premier League season of 99-2000 we just did. We just couldn't cope. The, the quality of teams that we played against, the players that they were attracting, we were never going to attract players. We were never going to play the sexy football like most teams could do. We, we had to fight. We had to scrap. We had to earn every result. And that's why when you look up back on the like the results against the Liverpools at Anfield, the 2-1 win against Chelsea at home, it's they're special because we beat them teams with top, top players, but we wasn't prepared to play Premier League football as a, as a whole. Now times have changed. There's more. There's more financial burden players are obviously brought in from different countries different cultures the managers they have they have a they have a, a network of players that they want to bring into the to the team to make them go to that next level but sometimes it can go the opposite way where it's not going to work but yet you've spent millions of pounds and it's yeah. it's all been thrown down the drain so you have to find the right balance and, and Graham had that balance but but also Graham wasn't prepared to go over the budget but then obviously the following season we got relegated and 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 Graham, we had a very good start to that next season in the in the championship, and then that's all sort of drifted away and fell apart at Christmas, if I remember rightly. Yeah, you can't really put your finger on it. I mean, football just throws so many fireworks at you, doesn't it, and different angles. And we're always going to accept that we're going to go through a bad period. But that time at Christmas, I think, was probably the lowest. We just couldn't find a result. We couldn't put things together. We couldn't put our finger on it. We'd have meetings. We'd have discussions. We'd we'd still have team bonding sessions to make sure that we were all together as a group. But it's just football. It's it's like how do you how do you get yourself out of them bad times? And the only you can only do that by just keep working on the training pitch, trying to put things right and then and then hoping that that one result will change things for you. Oh, it looked like we were going to go automatically back up. It's like, wow, we're coasting this. It was great. And then I can't remember it was it was it was 
was it was it Fulham? I think at Christmas maybe. I think because we had Carlton Palmer. I seem to remember in the midfield. I remember watching that day on a cold terrace in Fulham, going, "What are we doing here?" I think we lost five nil or something. It was just like, "Oh no, this doesn't feel right." And then it just sort of drifted away. But that's what, how it was meant to be, obviously. And then the following season, um, Graham leaves and, and Gianluca Vialli comes in. How was that for you? How was that transition for you? It was hard. It was it was very hard. Um, obviously seeing Graham go. Obviously seeing him struggle towards the end as well of of making that decision. No one really knew what he was going to do, but I think deep down I understood that Graham had done his time at Watford. He'd taken them as far as, far as he could take them, and it was time for someone else to come in and have a and have a go. And Viali, when when he first come in, it was that that Italian style of football. It's that when you watch them, it's that passion, it's that togetherness. Is he going to instill that in the team? Ray Wilkins come in. What a fantastic guy as a coach. He was brilliant with me always. Again extra sessions on the training pitch to, to, to improve work on my technique a little bit better because obviously Viali wanted to play that more footballing style as well just one players coming to the club simple as that it just it just didn't work it just the, the Graham mould that he had set over the years of that stability was gone within pre-season of the amount of players that were coming in and the amount of money that they were earning I go back to that time and, and I think you know some of some of the stick Viali gets is isn't fully justified in, in the sense of at that time you know the ITV thing went bump we We've spent a load of money on players that, again, we've we've touched on it. Don't understand Watford. Don't really want to be there. I think some of them probably pick on a couple there that used to drive me mental. But I always remember the uh, the first game of the city was it Man City? Man City away going right? all the way up there. I think they had Kevin Keegan and thinking got a chance here, got a chance. And after after about five minutes, I was like. It's a long way home. I guess for a player being inside the club, and as you've just said, you've you've done things in a certain way for so long, and to come in and tear all that up in one foul sweep, it can't be good for the for the morale of the team. And adding all the money and the wages, and and I guess boys in the changing room are like big over there is earning you know whatever it is it, it, it just can't be a good recipe can it you can't really look at a player and the money that they're on because at the end of the day it's not it's, it's, it's not, not their, their fault. fault Yeah, it's not their fault it's not our fault what you want is you want a player to come into Watford or any football club all you want is fully committed you want the player dedicated to wearing that shirt with pride being off the pitch showing respect to the fans to, to the community and I felt for I felt for Gianluca I felt for him that the players some of the players not all of the players but some of the players had let him down massively Massively, but they'd also let someone like me down who was born and bred from Watford. There was no guidance for me anymore. I had no support. I had no Graham to turn to. I had no Kenny Jacket to turn to. Ray Wilkins was there, which was great. But other than that, it's where, who do I t- who who do the who do the ones I go to now? Or I used to have conversations with about my game or me as a person. Like, what, how am I growing? How what do I need to do better on? Right. They, that was that was all gone. There was no one there for me to turn to. So you're saying that the pastoral care sort of went. When, when when Graham went everything yeah everything went when Graham left the whole spirit of Watford Football Club left because of what he'd instilled in the football club that's interesting I haven't really considered that to be honest when you think back and you look at it I think as players we notice the difference but fans wouldn't when you think of it when you look it's like soulless about Graham Taylor because everyone just wanted him still to be there but everyone, but everyone knew what he brought to the community, not just the football club, but the, but the full package of what I keep going back to is is we're all one. We're not we're not the players. You're not the fans. We're all together in it together. Luther mentions that quite regularly. We, we speak to Luther a fair bit, and he's he's always said exactly what you've said. It was it was a, a very much one club mentality. You know, fan and players all, all in it together. Not knocking the owners ownership of the club now and saying oh it's crap and because what they've put that what they put at Vicarage Road for. 
facilities wise and everything. Premier League for five seasons, you know. We, we, we can't knock that. We can't knock the owners now. It was that time. So that period was when the club was let down the most. Was is with the overspending. It was there was no stability. That was the time that nearly took Watford into administration. That's what nearly killed Watford Football Club. Yeah. That little bit of period. Absolutely. Now we're looking on. Is the club has progressed. Facilities, training ground, everything's there for like the future. The players that come in, they've got no excuses. They they've literally you cannot go into Watford Football Club and make an excuse apart from yourself as a player and just look at your performances because you can't complain about the like the pitches, the spot, that they're perfect, or the gym that you've got. As a footballer, you've got to look at it and say, this is the ideal practice for me and learning and developing and playing for Watford Football Club. That's what these footballers need to look at now, but they don't. And unfortunately, that's where the game's changing is that it's it's more about what do I need to drive or he's got more money than me. It's rubbish. Mm. Just worry about yourself. Mm. Get you see, you see, I, I assume you see, you've seen that a lot or you see that a lot. It, yeah. it used to wind me up, but now it doesn't bother me because it's just the way it is. It's the way the game's changing. Players earn the money because they deserve it. End of story. Yeah. Like them players, if they deserve that money, the club give it to them, not a problem. All I want is that I want the same commitment. I want respect. When you're in and around the training ground, I want the players to be one. I want them talking to each other. And when we cross that line, I want to look at you and know that you're, you've got my back. If I make a, if I make a mistime tackle, if I make a bad pass, I know that you're going to be there covering for me. We see that enough now, but that's just football in general. That's not just Watford. That's what you want to see. You want to, and that's what we had underground. We had that. If I missed a, if I give a misplaced pass, I was being told, but I was also given confidence by our other players that they'll give me the ball again to go and try it again. And, and, and that, that, that's what it was all about was that togetherness, mm. no matter what. So if we move forward to, was it 2003? You went to West Brom. Absolutely ripped the heart out of me. I was like, Robbo's going <laughs> somewhere else. This can't be right. I can't imagine him in a in a West Brom shirt. How did the move to West Brom come about? Oof, um very surprising, gutting. The way it happened was, in my eyes, was disgusting. The way I was treated as like someone who's come through the academy and, and played for the club, I thought that they would have showed a little bit more in trying to keep me, but it was um, done pretty quickly. Um, it was a phone call on a Sunday, so I was at home with my family. We'd literally just moved into a house three months. We'd had our newborn, Luke, at the time, my eldest now, and we were all settled, both families nearby, with all the help and support that my wife needed while I was at games and training. And it was just, everything was thrown out the window. It was a, a phone call to say, we've accepted an offer from West Brom and you've got to go and talk to them. There was no, we've turned this down. Um, it's your decision, what you want to do. None of that. It was, you've got a sign from wow. basically Watford needed the money so you had to so you had to go they were they were telling you so you I, had to go so they were yeah but they were basically telling me that I had to sign for West Bromwich Albion that, like I couldn't consider not accepting it but, but for me it was the club was in the big like behind the scenes the club was in a big big state it was close administration there was no stability my first thought was I never asked what the fee was. It was, am I going to save the football club mm. from financial problems? Okay. So for me, it made the move a little bit easier because I knew why I was doing it. But the way it was done was, it was disgusting, yeah. To start with, were you commuting up to the Midlands or did you immediately sort of up no, I, I remember it clearly. Watford, so we played on 
on the Saturday. I got the phone call on the Sunday. We had a game on the Tuesday, which I'd obviously been pulled out of. West Brom had a game on the Tuesday. So they said, you've got to drive up to West Brom tonight. They booked you into a hotel. Monday, you'll go for your medical. You'll be presented on the Tuesday at the game. <laughs> so they, it worked that way. Obviously, in my head, it wasn't working that way. But in Watford's head, it worked that way. Right. To, to the team with how it was done. So they obviously knew what was going on. They knew how it was all planned. But for me, it was to go up there, to have a look round. Gary Megson sold it to me anyway. He, he didn't need to convince me in saying no. He told me what my role would be, how I'd have to fight for the shirt, the formation that we'd play. He took me around the facilities, the stadium. He took me around the training ground. And he did. He blew me away. And he, and, and he wanted me. And that was, I wanted to feel that love where you've had that love for so much time with Grant Taylor, mm. being a manager, to now go into having so many other managers that have sort of not give you that love. So then going to Gary Megson, I sort of had flashbacks of Graham with the similarities of the way that he spoke to me, the way he wanted us to play, the way he wanted the team to move forward. Mm. I had a I had a vision in my head of where it was going and it was great for me. Yes, I, I it was going to be a struggle because my wife and child had to stay down in Watford until we'd sorted a place out. But again, the club were brilliant with that. West Brom organised viewings of houses, like the areas we told them where we wanted to live, close to the M40 so we could get back down to family, so Caroline could get back home to see her family when she needed that support with a young baby. And they were, West Brom were brilliant. They were, they were so good. It, it, yeah, it, ju- it just made my mind up. Yeah, OK, this is the club that I want to see my development and where I see my future moving forward. Yeah, but it was. It was just, it was so hard that like more of the saying goodbye because I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye to the fans. No, he didn't. Thing. No, he didn't. It, it was it was Robbo's gone. That's and what it was. It was. Like, okay, well, are we gonna are we gonna see him? Are we gonna? And it was no. But the best thing about it was I got um someone someone at Watford had done a book for me of fans writing messages in it. They must have got my address. So someone at the football club had, had gone round the ground and and got fans to write little messages to me. And I've got it as a keepsake in me um in me in one of my uh, memory boxes. And it's yeah, it's brilliant. Like things you can go back and look on yeah. that time when you moved on and the messages from the fans that, that sort of softened the blow of not saying goodbye to know that whatever they'd wrote in there was the meanings meant even more for me Watford fans whoever you speak to if you if you said give us a, a five-a-side team Robbo's in it I can guarantee that you know and and I, and I think that that's a testament to, to what you mean to us as fans one of one of our own as I, as I say you know and, and that's um, you know that's huge nowadays and we keep going over it but we there isn't enough of that it, it, it's quality that you know you've You've had the and to, to be fair, you know the West Brom move at the time. Yes, once I wiped my tears, <laughs> it was um, you know you really kicked on at West Brom. You had a fabulous career at West Brom. The Hawthorns is a is, it's a great great stadium. The, the fans are mental up there. Or is it Boing Boing? They do Boing 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 Boing. boing. Yeah, yeah. so it. they're they're crazy up there. And I, you know I vaguely remember. I'm sure you played against us and you beat. They beat us three 0 Yes, West Brom. yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah, hurt as well. That, that, that upset me a little bit. And that was that was when that was the timings when obviously it was Watford were flying at the time. Yes, um, we knew we knew it was going to be a tough game. Obviously, Aidy Boothroyd was a manager at the time, and um, that's right because we were absolutely flying again, absolutely flying, going to win the bloody league, and then, and then West Brom come and we, ruin we, the party. Yeah, we knocked we knocked the stuffing out of you. Yeah, to be fair, because yeah. but we knew we knew on our day we knew that if we'd played our, the way that we wanted to play, we we'd destroy Watford and we. 
we did we won three nil and it could have been five or six. But then that that not for me that was obviously gut wrenching because it was nice again to go back. That was my first time back I think at, at Vicarage Road after, and then obviously to see the fans and and to then finally get say goodbye. Obviously dampened it with the three nil win. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Cheers, yeah. 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 Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, probably abusing me more at the time instead of waving goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> weren't very pleased with you that night. I've got to be honest. But yeah, um, and then Watford went. Watford went on a slippery slope after that, and yeah. couldn't win a game. I no. think in about five or six games. No, because it was no. that was the season I think that ended up with us. I got a feeling that was the season where we ended up in the playoffs and lost horribly yeah, to Hull. Hull. Yeah, lost, we had Hull. Lost yeah. In the playoffs to Hull, yeah, so we sort of nearly scraped it, but didn't. But uh, on your Wikipedia page, it actually says in June two thousand and six, Watford attempted to resign you. Is that correct? Yes, it was true yeah Boothroyd contacted my agent to let him know that he was interested in bringing me back but West Brom were having none of it West Brom stood firm and they were like he's our player he's not going to be coming back it will take more than whatever they put in for it to to sort of persuade them to sell yeah so they were adamant and and West Brom stood firm they seen me as their like number one left back and they didn't want me going anywhere and obviously it's yeah it's always great knowing that Watford wanted you to come back when deep down when you're thinking about it was it right for me to go back with all the good memories that I've had for me for me now my ideal my ideal coming back to Watford would be to coach that that would be my ideal ending to my Sort of the final finale for me would be to even come back to and work with in the within the academy or within first team environment. That would be my dream to to finish on that. We do yeah. need some defensive coaching at the moment, Robbo. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> We're shipping goals like you wouldn't believe at the moment. It's uh, clean sheets is sort of a swear word where we are at the moment. I've got to be honest. Would you have so yeah. you, you probably wouldn't have come back even if you know you, you wouldn't have been tempted to come back and play. Tommy Smith was there at the time, of course. He, he'd come back then, I think. Yeah, I just I just think that the time. I had at Watford it wouldn't be the same I just mm. in my head as a footballer I, when you go back to a place you're never going to have them same feelings or that same sort of right what's it going to be like playing and obviously AD had a style of football which he liked playing which was back to front I, I'd evolved as a player and I changed my game to, to playing more technically and getting the ball down and playing and I just at the at the time, it was great. West Brom were never selling me, but deep down, it would would have been the right move for me in going back. That that mm. would have been my mm. biggest biggest sort of grudge would be: is it is it right for me to go back when I've got myself to this level now and I want to go higher? Would it have been right to go back to Watford? And I, I I just think looking back on it, it was it was the right decision for obviously it, it was taken out of my hands by West Brom anyway, but it was yeah. I think it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Well, but when I think back to players that have come back, I don't think it did feel quite the same. Tommy Smith maybe. Hyder Helgeson, it didn't feel quite the same second time round. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's nice to have a legacy to be proud of and, you know, the fans can look back with pride and, um, yeah, certainly... We still think of you as a great player, mate. So it didn't do you any harm by not coming back without any doubt at all. Oh yeah, but, but also that's where I look back on it is that was that was my that was the start of me that my home club. So that's even more special to me because I I got the opportunity to play for a club that I was brought brought up with. Yeah, I grew up. Were you a Watford fan as a boy? Were you? Were you a Watford fan? I was Watford and Tottenham, yeah, because my um, my uncle used to take me to Tottenham games as well. Because obviously, I was a I was a big fan of like Glen Oddles and the Mickey ah, Hazards. Well, yeah, of course. So grow, growing up in that era, I was always split with like John Barnes, Luther Blissett, Kenny Jacket, yeah. Mickey Hazard, Gripping. <laughs> you know, yeah, there was always that. So it, so I had the best of both worlds. But no, for me, I'm always I'm always watching the Watford games coming in. I'm always looking for the results, and that was when I left. Always the same. That's lovely to know, actually. So, 214 appearances at West Brom, which is, you know, incredible itself. And then, 
I didn't realise. I knew you went to Bolton, but did you start there on loan. Yes, yeah, started off on loan at Bolton. Yeah, so I went in. I went in the October because obviously the transfer window was different, and I ended up signing a permanent in January. Yeah, so it, I think it was something the agreement that the club because it was Gary Megson. Gary Megson had obviously left West Brom, and he got the Bolton job, and then I was reunited with Gary. But it was a, there was a bit of a. Who was, it, it Bro- was, more, who was the West Brom was, manager that took over from him? Then was it? It was Brian the, Robson. It was Brian, Brian Robson, Robson, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. What was he like as a manager? Legend, absolute legend. Yeah, Brian Robson. When when you when you mention it, it just flipping. Yeah, I mean it's up there, isn't it? Like, the training sessions were different with obviously the Man United connections, and obviously Brian had played for West Brom when he was growing up as well. Nigel Pearson was his assistant. Right. Craig Shakespeare. We'd yep. obviously been at Watford as well. Craig had coaching under Nigel as well. Growing up with them as well, again, training and working with them was brilliant for me. I mean, just just so good. Like They, 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 they were the best two times of my career, Watford and West Brom. They were the highlights of my whole career of of my where I got to in my prime. That that was that was the best. Bolton was obviously a little bit. It was up and down. I didn't really play. I played. Then Owen Cole took over. I didn't really get on well with him. I was yeah. travelling. So I ended up travelling. Then I, I, I had a rental. Up, so my family stayed in the Midlands while I travelled from here to Bolton, and that M- that M6 is a is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so for me that was that was tough, and then obviously signing for Birmingham local, brilliant for me as well, mm. uh, and being there for eight years again was special for me. That was 2012, wasn't it? If I saw, yeah, 2012, 2012. for Birmingham. Yeah, I could be wrong. It was Fozzie there when you were there. No, Fozzie had left. He'd left. He had gone. Yeah, Fozzie, Fozzie was at West Brom. So you've gone Bolton and. And then, did you go Leeds? I had ten, yeah, ten games on loans at, at Leeds with Neil Warnock. That's that it. was interesting. Oh, God. <laughs> Come on. there's got to be some Warnock stories. Yeah, he's just, he's just a like, he, he's mad. He's Is he mental? I thought I, I thought I was mad, but he takes it to another level. <laughs> so, so what you see, you know, when what it, you see that, is what you get. What is what you, what you get. get. He, he's brutal. He just doesn't. He has no filter. It's like bang. That's it. That's that's what I'm saying. Deal with it. I used to. I used to love watching his interview. Uh, the the videos when he was at Sheffield United and it was inside the dressing room and there was like yeah. Phil Jagielka as a youngster and stuff like that. And he was giving them absolute, you know, uh, yeah. Paddy Kenny and you know, absolute pelters. You know, yeah. going to shake their hands. Oh no, I, I don't want to see you get in the shower. You know, it's just just craziness. Yeah. We, you wouldn't get away with it. I don't think now. I don't know. No, no, you no cameras going to dress rooms now. Like, so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, times have changed. Yeah, we were but, talking um, to yeah. uh, Tommy Smith about him because wasn't he managing QPR when they got QPR, promoted? Yeah, and I remember reading in his autobiography that he did a bit of chiropody as a as a younger man, and he used to get the tools out on the players. And you just think, what other manager would be doing yeah. chiropody on their team? It's just mm-hmm. absolute madness. Yeah, he, he was never touching me, don't you? Like, like that. <laughs> yeah, you're not touching my feet. Get them clippers away yeah, from me. Over there. I want my toes left on. Hunter's questions. Hunter's questions. Hunter's questions. The first one is, is just simply uh, Dougie Brimson, who um, is the author of uh, Green Street and so forth. So quite, you know, quite high up there. Uh, he just yeah. puts legend and that's it. And to come from Dougie Brimson, when you spoke to Dougie Brimson, believe me, my friend, that is a... Um, that's a high compliment, that. That is a high compliment. If you want Green Street 4, then I'm, I can be a character in that. <laughs> 
can fit in that mad, I can fit in that madness part of it. Ian Dell, it's a two-part question, but is it the toughest opponent you've ever faced? Two, I would say David Beckham would have been one, and Ronaldo would have been the other. Well, that's a pair, isn't it? Not a bad couple of players to play up against. No. And and, and obviously, like the, the difference in him was I always studied the wingers that I was going to be playing against. And with, with Beckham and with Ronaldo, you could sit there as long as you wanted and study their game, but they'd play totally different on, on the game day just because of their quality and, and the way that they were as players. Beckham was obviously a, a world-class international player, Man United, Real Madrid, and then Ronaldo is... He's done all right, hasn't he? He's done all right. He's done all right. He's got, he's got two. He's, yeah, he's got. He's got two crap feet, and he, he's not bad in the air either. <laughs> I don't know how he gets the height. He's incredible. His his technique and, and to be, Yeah, I mean, he's nearly. What is he? 36, 37? 36 now. He is yet. Yeah, mate. And he's, he's in some shape. Uh, Ian goes on to say, "Did you keep a book of names of the players that you booted in the air?" Uh, not really, because everyone that ran past me was always going to get kicked. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but it really been a long list. I, I like to. I like to just think of myself that I was actually a good football player. Oh, you That's were, mate. You were. Oh, you were fantastic. Quality, yeah. And to, and to be everyone, fair, everyone that I speak to used to like. They always go, "Oh, you was a right dirty." <laughs> no, I remember you coming on and changing games as a substitute. You, you, you think, oh, this game needs something, and all of a sudden it would be coming on Paul Robinson. You go, ah, well, now we're going to see a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more commitment. Yeah, no, yeah. It was, it's, you know, it was just, oh, well, Robbo's coming on. That'll change the game. Fantastic. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a byproduct, isn't it? All these bookings and sendings. Off. <laughs> like, yeah, well, well, well done, Justin. You've done well with that one. <laughs> Jason Fark, he comes out and says, uh, does he remember 1999, very specific, taking a throw-in at West Ham on the halfway line by the chicken run, and I gave him a little wave, and he said, what are you doing in there? Keeping my head down, Robbo. You'll see a Watford fan in the... In a, <laughs> yeah. Quite a specific yeah. uh, question, that Yeah, one. quite specific, that. He's gone right into detail there as well, hasn't he? Yes. Well. I love it. Yeah, he clearly it. remembers it a lot more fondly than you do, but... Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was a, I was a little bit bit more safer than what he was at that time when he said it <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah definitely. just just on the back of his question I'm thinking about West Ham's ground there. what's the what's the toughest atmosphere you've played in where you think oh my this is this is something else obviously obviously the derby games the dugout was getting filled in that's was it? like literally I was sitting there as like an 18 year old and I'm thinking listen Gaffer I need, I need to go home because I'm seriously worried about my <laughs> I'm a little worried about my safety here but that's what that game brought that, that yeah. game brought that ferociousness it brought the intimidation from the away fans or the home fans that was part of growing up that's what you had to get used to and yeah obviously growing up over the years you get the abuse from the fans on the touchline but I would probably say that was the most intimidating was that thought of the dugout getting punched and worrying for your actual safety safety there's a strong rumour we've asked a couple of players that were in and around that did you hear the gaffer at the time say boy second half need to slow down calm down I didn't hear no because obviously when you go in as a sub you sort of stand at the back because the, back. the change yeah. rooms weren't very big there so you still not like, <laughs> no. nothing's very big there I've not, I've, not been, I've not been back since have you not no, no I've not been back to Luton since now oh, no, okay. they obviously got, they got relegated didn't they yeah <laughs> unlucky um, <laughs> they, got, they got relegated and I kept getting promoted <laughs> Brilliant quality, love that. Quality. You're going to have them. Um, you're going to have them this season, though, in your current role. Yeah, I'll go aren't back you? with Yeah, we've had them at home already, and they've done us. So yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and hopefully getting one over. Yeah, you got to g- you got to g the boys up for that. I'll, I'll be I'll be banging money on that. I might go. I might go in my Watford shirt just to like do it. On, go on, oh, do it. <laughs> oh, go in that one, the CTX one behind one. you, the black and red. Yeah, that one, I can do that 
that one. Fantastic. Brilliant. Love that. Yeah, Millwall score, Robbo's on the pitch. Yeah, yeah celebrating. Oh. Running towards them, going, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loving this. Excellent. Well, that brings us on nicely. Uh, Dave Lavender, uh, what does Paul remember about his first derby with them lot from up the up the road on the M1? He covered it a little bit, but I, I guess it's your first one was your, your debut, basically. So yeah. th- there's so much going on in your head, isn't there? For me, it's obviously the biggest memory because it's the it's the first one. It's the it's the path for me. It's the start of a uh, of of where my career was going to go. And and yeah, against your local rivals, it it, it stays with you for forever. That moment. So yeah, it was it was a fantastic evening for me. Uh, loved every minute of it. Enjoyed obviously we we, we drew one one. Wasn't the result to be, but again it was it was special for me because it was the start of me and and for the fans to see the real Paul Robinson who come through the academy. That's brilliant. And he he goes on to say, and it, this is more of a comment. He remembers after about two minutes. So once you'd come on, you, you, your first challenge, you put uh, one of their players into the four rows into the uh, the old main stand, and a huge cheer erupted around the ground. He thought to himself at the time, "Yep." he'll do for me he goes on to say he was absolutely gutted uh, when we had to sell you for, na- for financial reasons he is one of the best left backs ever to wear the, the, the yellow of Watford a true Watford legend that's a statement that is especially that is. Watford. yeah it's yeah. true but to be fair if you think back through some of the to, to, to the left backs there's you there's Wilf Rostron I'm trying to think of some other ones now you know I'm struggling I've got to Kenny be honest played there for a bit, didn't he? okay he was more of a midfielder Kenny when he, Kenny was he was a midfielder, but, he, but he had a stint at left back yeah, Peter Kennedy played at left back a little bit, I think. But yeah, I mean, it's t- yeah, Tommy Tommy Moody played at left back a little bit as well. Yeah, he played yeah, everywhere, he did. didn't he? Tommy Moody he played everywhere. Tommy <laughs> Moody. everywhere. Tommy Moody. He me even turned up on live live when I when I didn't expect him as well. Go on, Tommy. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's Tommy. Tommy's the John Terry, is he? Just where turns up wearing a full kit. He just yeah, he got he got promoted. He got the full kit on, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I love about it is like, like we we still have our own group chat we're still in touch with each other and it's just it's just so special because like that group of players that you've you've grown up with over the years and we still we still keep in touch with each other is just amazing I love it I love speaking to the lads well I think that's yeah. brilliant because that's what 20 years ago when all that was going on really 21 22 yeah. years ago yeah I speak to Gibbo as well a lot I have chats yeah. with Gibbo because he's, he's a legend Gibbo. so I always talk to him about coaching points and, and, and how I need to be better as a coach so not only was he there for me as a player but he's also there for me as a coach so it's brilliant it's brilliant to have them people around this one I'm I'm, I'm hoping there's there's going to be a quality answer to this uh, is Matty Rush asks best Richard Johnson story oh there's a few <laughs> I'm not going to throw Jono under the bus. No, of course not. No, no. I mean, he threw uh, Michael Hyde under the bus uh, oh, when we yeah. asked. Yeah, but that's his centre mid partner. Michael something about him vomiting on his, on his wife or something. No, it's Michael Hyde vomiting on Jono's wife. On, on Jono's wife, that was it. Yeah. yeah. Jono just it, like I think Jono's just that typical guy who he just gives you so many great memories of of spending so much time with. Probably too much time with because he, he gets the worst out of you then when you're with him. Um, I think the funniest. Story. It evolved a little bit of drinking after promotion. It's unusual, Jono. <laughs> and and it also evolved falling asleep on a beach where we both woke up with sand on our face. What? <laughs> Just, it was just a, it was a, just a great promotional party. This was which beach was this? Somewhere in the UK? Somewhere abroad? Or? No, no. This was a this was a beach that was abroad. Right. I'm not going to name. I'm not going to name it. But <laughs> I'm going to keep you guessing of where it, we could possibly be. Right. We just so, been promoted and we went away to this country and it was special moments of, of celebrating together as a, as a group of, of human beings having so much fun. Was this, I assume this wasn't just you and Jono. This would have been a few of the boys as well. This would, this would have been the complete team spirit. The complete team spirit. Fantastic. Right. This is, this is what... 
this is what Graham instilled in us all, but probably not them scenes that Graham wanted to see. No, no, I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to wake up on a beach. No. That's fantastic. <laughs> hey, it, was a, it was a good day. We loved it anyway. It was good. Um, and then the last question, this is it's quite deep. This comes from um, from Chris uh, Chris O'Hara. He asks, what's Jono, Jono's, what's Robbo's future <laughs> plans? Uh, does he want to stick uh, with coaching or is he looking for management jobs? Um, that's a great question. Obviously, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an ambitious person like I was as a player. I think at the moment, my pathway is just coaching because I want to learn like I did as a football player. You have to, you have to step by step, earn the right to be a manager. So for me at the moment, I'm starting off from where I was as a player and I'm building my reputation as a coach, developing, learning different things. One day I would love to, and I've mentioned it there, I, I would love to to be back at Watford in a coaching capacity. That would be my that would be my ultimate goal, is whether that would be as a first-team coach, whether that would be helping the youngsters have, a, have the pathway to, to go on to do great things, or whether it's involved with the first team, helping them and, 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 and moving them on in the direction that we know that the club can move on to. Well, we'd love to see you back there, mate, to be honest. 100%. Love yeah, to see you back at Watford. 100%. You're having a good season, though, Millwall. They're up, up to mid-table, ninth, doing really yeah. well under... Gary Rowett. Yeah, Gary Rowett, that's Gary, it. Gary yeah. Was my old, yeah, my old manager at Birmingham. I was the club captain there when he was the manager. And, yeah, I mean, fantastic. I love working for Gary. Um, we had a great we had a great bond when, we were, when I was his captain. Could always again. He was a. He was always like like a Graham. You could always go and talk to him about your game, about anything. Feel relaxed. Um, obviously, Gary didn't know me then as a coach because he'd moved on and, and gone on to other things, and I was still at Birmingham. But he's given me the opportunity at Millwall, and I'm loving it. I love working with the players on the grass on a daily basis. Got a good group of young lads in there as well that you can. We can do a lot of individual work and. and and help them do the right things. Similar to what Graham did with me, and it's it is we've got to give them that guidance now as a young lad. What they want is they want this, they want insurance that they're good players. How can they develop their game better? So yeah, we're always working on the grass to improve the young lads, but also the senior players in keeping on top of them of doing the right things. Yeah, and, and Gary's put that trust in bringing me in there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love working. I just love working on the grass. I love I love helping people. I love wanting people. I love seeing that end product of winning games, getting the points. Mm. We're one point off the playoffs so we're at the moment we're doing really well but again it's championship football it's a long season we've got to keep yeah. it going we've got to keep working hard so yeah everything at the moment's going really well and I'm really enjoying it awesome. fantastic and I guess from being an ex-player and having the career that you've had you're still getting that that a drug I guess where you've still got a ball at your feet you're still on the training ground still got banter with the lads yeah. um, and I kind of I guess you've, you've sort of ne- I know you can never really replace playing football but yeah. I guess it still gives you that drug and, and, and yeah, you know, the it's, it's the love isn't it it's the love for it it's that I love playing that was my that was my goal as a kid was to, to play as as long as I could as and do as well as I could and now the coaching is no different I want to I, I want to go on I want to test myself I want to if, if there's an opportunity one day to be a manager and it's right for me and it's right for the club then brilliant I'll take it because that's the person within me that wants to do it and wants to prove that I can do it but at the moment it's that important time at the moment is developing and learning developing. Le- like climbing the ladder for the right reasons I don't I don't want to be seen as that person who yeah you've played football and you deserve no I don't deserve the right because I had to earn the right as a footballer right. now I've got, to, I've got to earn the right as a coach and that's where I see my pathway I see that that progression in doing that and when I get there then I know I've got there for the right reasons and I've, and I've bide my time and, and done it at the right opportunity we um, we did ask Neil Cox this um, and he, he gave quite a quite a funny answer to it but theoretically with the current owners at Watford if you were offered the Watford manager's job knowing what they're like as uh, bosses would you take that job yes 
You would, yeah. Even though you might only be in a job for you know, twelve games or something, or no, but but you've got you've got to convince the owners to see the bigger picture. I think have we seen managers go in there and convince the owners that this is the right way to do things? I think you've got to have communication. Has there been a lack of communication in the past? Yes, I do believe there has. Do the owners pick the managers? for longevity not at this moment in time no but I think if you're offered the job then you've got to convince the owners that longevity is that's the way forward and if I don't feel that they're on the same page as me then it would be a no yeah it would be a no right but to manage the to manage the club and to be able to to go back where it all started for me is again that's that start of a new chapter I'm not a player anymore yeah I'm a coach I'm Mm. the manager Mm. So it's 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 a new era of bringing that togetherness back. I would like I would love to think that the owners would give me that responsibility, knowing that I could bring a bit more of a Graham Taylor back to it. Yeah, well, you learned from the best, didn't you? Really, yeah, all, all of the managers that you work for have been yeah, yeah all of the managers. Team. But Graham was he was the best, and there's no comparisons. Graham was the best. Well, that's brilliant to hear. I tell you one thing, I do pick up talking to you, Robbo. Is is it's not again we've we've spoken to a lot of ex professional footballers, but actually speaking to you, it's actually like talking to to a Watford fan. You know, who kind of looks at it from this perspective as as well as what you know goes on behind, you know, closed doors and so forth. That's quite refreshing for me, actually. It's been one of the most interesting sort of chats that I've had with any ex-professional just because it's it gives you another, you know, a different flip on it. So really, really um, over the moon that you've joined us for this. So, uh, you know, well, well, I do, do appreciate it. No, 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 definitely. I, I, I love I love talking about the club because, like you say, it's it's special to me. It's in my blood. Like I've always said, it's in my heart. means... It's something special to me because of the way that it was brought upon me as a kid growing up. So I'm I'm never going to disrespect the club. Yes, I have my opinions and everyone everyone has their opinions, but it will be for the right reasons. It won't be in a disrespectful way. And that and that that is me. That is the way that I speak. Is I speak from the heart. I speak honestly. There's certain players that resonate, I think, with fans, and, and you're one of them, without doubt. There's there's a sort of very small handful of, of players that really resonate with the fans, and you were definitely one of those for us. So thank you for for, for playing for Watford. It was an absolute Absolute pleasure to watch you play. This is Neil Cox. We do not scratch our eyes. Thank you very much to all the Watford supporters. Robbo, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you very much for having me, fellas. I've loved every minute of it. And it's uh, it's great to reminisce and talk about the old times. Brings back some real good memories. So thank you very much. Fantastic, Robbo. Top class, uh, top class man. Brilliant servant for our club. Thank you so much for wearing the yellow. You hate Luton as much as I do. And as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, that's just brilliant. Well done, Robbo. Cheers, mate. Cheers, thank you. Thanks, Robbo. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? <whistles> At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.